Hi and welcome back to Police Stories Podcast. This is episode 8. I'm Dave and this is a series of uh, short stories about my 28 year career in the UK police force. So today is going to be a bit of talk first about the subject and then uh, we'll look at the incident itself. And today I'm afraid is all about death. Um, When you join the police, most people I would imagine are in no doubt death is something you're going to have to deal with. It's a difficult subject, means different things to different people, sounds obvious. Um, I've known some some cops that have um, avoided the subject as much as they can, you know, it's something they find really difficult to deal with and will happily volunteer for a a really unpleasant task or something else to avoid going to a death. Um, Others, quite the opposite. I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Um, Not my favourite subject, obviously, but um, I feel reasonably well-equipped to deal with it um, overall. So uh, I was quite happy to go to these things if needs be. It was just another part of the police from my point of view. Unfortunately, I have dealt with quite a bit of it. as a normal sort of uniform cop, you go to quite a few what we call sudden deaths, and we'll come on to those in a second what they are. But when I was on the Marine unit, based on the Thames, I was there for 10 years. Roughly, you have 50 people a year go into the river um, that never come out alive, and that ranges from suicides um, to the old murder. Although, actually, the Thames, for example, is quite a... Um, unusual place for murder victims to be put I think because it's so central and covered by CCTV and public it's not the sort of place you go to be subtle if you're looking to to dump a a murder victim invariably they'd end up in a canal a pond a river somewhere a bit more rural a bit more tucked away uh, without prying eyes because presumably the person is intending not to get caught so um Yes, now certainly I wouldn't obviously have gone to all of those, but I'm afraid, you know, it was a fairly regular occurrence one way or another for um, recovering a body uh, onto the police vessel from the river. Um, That's just how it was. And sometimes they'd be within minutes and you'd be end up sort of performing CPR and trying to bring that person back. Other times they could have been missing for, you know, a week or even many months before they eventually are found. We'll get into those in more detail on a later subject. So certainly to start with, and in my career, um, the first few things you'd go to would be a a bog standard, if if there is such a thing, sudden death, basically, a call that police get very often. Sometimes it shocks relatives that police are at the scene of their relative dying, even if it's expected. So for example, if you had somebody that had a terminal disease and it was very much known that they were... Uh, going to die fairly soon and that they perhaps chosen to to die at home as a lot of people do when it actually happens even if there was people with them um, if the person for example had contacted uh, the funeral directors you know as a part of a pre-arranged plan or maybe the ambulance ultimately to say I'm afraid you know my relative has has gone um, the police would be told it's as simple as that you know deaths in the UK get reported to the police whether that comes via ambulance or the funeral directors or whoever it is and that's really just to make sure there is no foul play even if it's expected so yes many times I've been at um, 
addresses where perhaps relatives live away um, or say even if they've um, popped to the shops literally when they're looking after a relative and come back to find you know a shocking scene firstly the relative is dead which is terrible enough but secondly now there's you know a uniform police car and and uniform cops at their address people immediately believe there's been foul play but that's not the case at all in the uk certainly in england and wales um it's the police's duty to report deaths to the coroner who then investigates them um and also in Scotland, it's the same, but instead it's the procurator fiscal that gets informed via the police. Um, so there's different things. So, yes, I mean, there's various issues. Personally, I always found it interesting. A lot of us have a morbid curiosity. Look at how well, uh, you know, um, terrible kind of horror films and gory, you know, movies sell. And I think that's because perhaps a lot of people do have an interest in um in kind of the body and and what happens certainly for me that was mostly how I dealt with it um I was just interested in kind of how the body works particularly if you went to something really gruesome a bad accident or perhaps a stabbing or something like that or even worse a shotgun suicide which are um really horrific I, I tried to deal with it by just making it or seeing it as interesting in terms of looking at the body and thinking okay right so that's how that works and you know obviously I'm not a surgeon or anything I've never seen inside a body um, so rather than seeing that that uh, individual as a person perhaps I saw them more as a I don't know a, a subject or a model and certainly later on when I was on the dive team recovering bodies you know you're up very close and personal manhandling these people to me they were just um mannequins almost you know not not real uh, you know in 99% of the cases I didn't know the person so that makes it easier to detach yourself the only thing I'd say is you have to be careful around that because you need to make sure you're dealing with this stuff you know lots of cops go on to develop you know sort of uh, real anxiety or mental health problems if you deal with too many things or you know particular incidents maybe with more than one victim you know uh, you, you have to try and make sure you're dealing with this stuff you know there are counseling services and things available the police are much better now certainly back uh, you know 20 plus years ago the police weren't so good it tended to be a pat on the back and a cup of tea from your sergeant or inspector well done you okay and your kind of obligatory nod of the head because you knew that's what was expected of you um it's just how it was, you know, and, and particularly no one really wants to seem to be to lose face as such. And again, you know, years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, the police was a, a very, you know, testosterone led, you know, male dominated world. You could you, you, in your mind, you couldn't afford to be seen as someone who was weak or that sort of was affected by things. So invariably people dealt with terrible things by themselves. Well, that's definitely come back to bite them, you know, in later years. And I'm pleased to say that a lot of those people um, go on to get counselling. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one, death, um, as I say. Very difficult for different people to deal with. And I guarantee that every cop will have, even out of a long career like mine, there's probably three or four that really stick with me. And going forward, we will discuss those. Um, we will have an episode on those and some of those are you know are quite difficult to 
to speak about. Although for me, this process of the podcast is is a bit cathartic as well. It's quite nice for me to get this stuff out. Um, there is a bit of a feeling that after a long career, you know, I've had a lot of experiences and and things happen to me as you'll you'll go on to hear. But actually, uh, now that it's all over, uh, kind of they're just going to disappear. No one will ever know those. Hence, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this. Really, I suppose it's a a bit of a legacy and an opportunity to get some of this out, which hopefully will be as good for me as interesting to to some of you. Anyway, I'm uh, digressing once again. So on to this incident we're going to talk about today. So we had a call. I was with um, uh, another cop, as invariably you were then. There's a lot more single crew in now, but certainly at the time, a double crew was you know, generally the norm. Uh, so called to a, a farm on the outskirts of our ground, and it had gone, it had changed from a farm that had animals, uh, whether they couldn't make it pay or whether farming's a very difficult um, thing to make work, I believe, and becoming harder and harder as time goes on for various reasons. But um, this farm had changed from dealing with animals and had become more of a scrapyard, metal worker, kind of welder and general uh, metal, not fabricator, but kind of fixer, if you like. Uh, and this guy at this farm, uh, what he did was, or one of the things he did was service and fix, and I think actually build as well, fairground rides so when you have your big wheels and i think you know like your waltzer which is the one you see at the traveling fairs you know that you all sit in the individual cars and it spins around at a breakneck speed and then the cars you're on as well kind of spin too all designed to make you as sick as possible and it always worked with me um, i can't say i like the things mostly and invariably would end up being sick um, so they did a good job anyway uh, this guy had this farm and, and dealt with this equipment. We get called to a sudden death. Now, I really, like most cops, and a bit like your first fight, um, I kind of wanted to get it out of the way. You know, I hadn't been to a death. The only experience I'd had a death at this point was um, probably my granddad when I was maybe eight or ten years old or something. I remember briefly seeing him in the funeral home, but obviously it's very different. So you hear and you know this stuff's going on and being looked at. And, uh, you know, it's something I wanted to deal with just to get one under my belt, really, and make sure I was okay. You know, it's going to be tough that not only the sights, but, you know, in some cases, the smells and the general gore. And you don't want to make a fool of yourself dealing with this stuff. So, yeah, I was quite keen to, to get uh, get on with one, really. So go out to this farm. And when we turn up, there's a lot of emergency services already at the location. There was ambulance there. Um, and that's the norm because... Although, you know, it gets called in as a sudden death, you actually need somebody to say that. And I'm not talking about, you know, someone silly like me, a cop. I'm talking about, you know, a professional, a medical professional to make that call. There are only about three scenarios where um, cops can actually sort of declare death initially. And it would still have to be formally declared. But for the police to sort of accept it on the initial stages, it has to be pretty bad. So one of those scenarios is the person is... Um, very, very decomposed. I mean, they've been there weeks or months. There's absolutely no doubt, you know, their their body has literally um, started to break apart. Uh, and that's what happens, unfortunately. There's various stages of decomposition. But certainly going forward, they can almost melt, uh, I'm afraid, their, their bodies, the skin and the fat and the organs effectively start to kind of melt down into themselves. 
um, which would eventually then, you know, the skin would leave, leaving uh, just the bones, you know, so you'd end up with your skeleton. Obviously, that's way ahead. But, you know, then there's various different stages. Now, that can be sped up by temperature if it's hot if it's sunny, if the heating's on, I'm afraid I've been to quite a few that have died in front of fires and things, and then have them then been there for a month. One of the worst ones had been there for about three months in front of a fire um, in August, you know, in a heat wave. I mean, it was it was horrendous. And again, we'll talk about that one another day. Um, but uh, so you get this various stage of decomposition. So a cop going to those scenes can call up the control room and say, I have got a deceased person here. You know, there's no problems with that. The other scenario is if they've been decapitated. So it's very obvious. And unfortunately, again, sometimes you go to accidents, um, you know, really terrible car accidents where someone has been decapitated or potentially perhaps has had something come through the window, uh, windscreen, and has hit them so hard in the head, um, you know, they may have something impaled in them. They're the sort of scenario, again, that a cop, is able to say to the control room, we've got a deceased person here. Um, other than that, generally, it's down to the medical professional. So an ambulance will always turn up because even if, you know, uh, you may be finding someone, the classic is the neighbour calls up and says, I've not seen my neighbour for a few days and now uh, the milk's kind of piling up on his door and there's three days' worth of papers stuck out of his letterbox or I can see his mail is hanging out of his letterbox or it's piled up inside of his... Um, inside of his front door, for example. And the other one is flies. Quite often they say there seems to be a lot of flies around the letterbox or I can see through the windows there's a lot of flies within the properties. Um, flies, I understand, have an ability to smell death, you know, from a very long distance and almost immediately kind of uh, do their best to get to the body. And, and invariably they do. They're very good at, at what they do. Um, they then uh, lay their eggs which in turn become maggots. So fairly quickly, um, you'll have a body, uh, just to add to the horror of the smells, will have, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of maggots um, going through it and can be seen at the various things like eye sockets, which obviously, as you can imagine, just adds to the horror. Um, but that's the reality of it. You know, that that's how it is. It's so difficult to stomach at times. Um, so back to our incident so a turn up, there's ambulance there, uh, the fire crew was there with half a dozen firemen um, and we were, I think, the second police unit to turn up um, because invariably it's not clear what's happening at this point, lots of resources go. I think we were actually called in originally by uh, the ambulance crew, which is fairly normal. So we turn up to this scene, a bit of chaos in terms of vehicles parked everywhere, you know, the, the, the general location is pretty sort of um, downtrodden you know there's lots of old rusty bits of metal it's a bit of a mess really you know kind of around obviously this guy sort of took in all sorts and got paid for it and then invariably perhaps it got left outside and projects went by the by as he moved on to something else so there was a lot of rusty sharp metal lying around and uh, and general sort of rubbish I guess um, we go into uh, a yard there or, or a, that leads to a big sort of barn that stroke workshop and there's another cop in there already who knows the guy I'm with. They have a quick chat and he says, yeah, he's over there. So, of course, I'm sort of scanning this big shed we're in now, desperate for my first view and trying, praying that I'm not going to make a fool of myself and end up like being sick or retching or something like that, especially in front of all these other emergency services who, to my mind, are hardened to this stuff because, you know, they go to this stuff all the time. Um, 
And I'm looking around and I can't really, it's not obvious where where the dead guy is, basically. I'm looking around, I can't see him. I can see in front of me, about 20 metres away, there's a large, some sort of fairground ride. It was circular. I'm not entirely sure it was. It could have been like a base of a waltz, the thing we talked about earlier that span around, but I'm not really sure. But it was certainly circular. Uh, had like a flat, a flat metal deck and various beams going across it. And I'd call them like I-beams, which are the big, again, in UK, they get called like RSJ's roof support, roof support joists. Um, so they're about kind of six or eight inches wide pieces of metal beams. Um, and generally, I think they're used for supports and quite often in house building are used to sort of uh, as lintels, which go above doors and windows and things like that. Um, large metal beams. Anyway, they, they were stretching across this metal, this round metal framework, this sort of deck almost. And that deck was suspended in the air. It was about, um, I suppose, four four or five feet in the air, something like that. And it was suspended or held up by something. I think it had a series of supports holding it up. Um, and that, I believe, was to allow him to work underneath it. Um, so to get underneath it, he had to stoop down initially. And then when he was kind of stood up inside it, working on the insides or the underneath of it, He'd have been about sort of at about five foot height, I suppose, something like that. Anyway, 20 metres away, I see this deck. And then in the middle of that deck underneath it is a group of about half a dozen firemen, a couple of ambulance staff. And there's a guy in there I can see in like a dirty kind of boiler suit, clearly like, you know, a mechanic type person. And he's also underneath it and appears to be looking with the fire crews at something underneath in the middle of this deck. And I couldn't really make out what it was and I assumed he was perhaps somebody who worked you know at at the location but but still wasn't clear where the uh where the dead person was basically um so it wasn't really clear anyway the guy was with said come on then Dave let's let's go and have a look you know um so we walk closer and I duck down underneath this deck and I'm now um in with these fire crew underneath this deck which is you know kind of rusty and dripping with oil it was a fairly unpleasant location um, and I can see this guy here still well I can see this guy's legs with a boiler suit on it and his upper body but I can't see his head because it looks like it's underneath um, the, the actual deck sort of looking up inside it if you like um, so he's in a sort of a slightly quite a high stoop he's almost stood upright but not quite his legs are slightly buckled as he's bending down to see what it is anyway as I got closer I realised to my horror that this was the guy. This this guy had died underneath this deck. But the way he died was he'd suspended this whole deck, which must have weighed, I don't know, five tonnes or something, ten tonnes. It was, you know, ridiculously heavy. It was a huge deck that was maybe 20 or 30 feet across, at least circular, and held up with these supports all round it. He'd obviously either lifted it or had somehow jacked it up and then put these supports under it to allow him to work underneath it. But unfortunately, while he was right underneath it with his head inside it, effectively, I don't know, servicing, welding, whatever he was doing, replacing bearings or something, the whole thing had collapsed on him and it had collapsed across, right across or diagonally across his face and his head. Um, And that was one of the main beams I talked about. So he had this six-inch beam six inch wide beam with the weight of this thing you know five tons or whatever it was entirely collapsed 
across the top of his face and head. And obviously it killed him immediately, um, but it also pinned him in place standing up. So it was the most bizarre thing that, you know, not only had he died, unfortunately, but he'd been pinned standing up. So when I'd looked through and seen the guy in the boiler suit that I thought was assisting or whatever, that was the guy we'd come to deal with. He was unfortunately surrounded by paramedics and, and fire crew figuring just how they were going to get him out. Because obviously there's a safety issue for them as well. You know, they don't want the same thing to happen. So prior to going in, the fire crews had actually, this is before I got there and I found this out later, had secured the deck, I think with a series of straps and things and made sure that it definitely couldn't come down anymore. But because of the sheer weight of this thing, they were trying to figure out just how they were going to get him out. Um, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, this was su such an unusual sudden death. And in fact, even throughout my career, I did see some very strange ones. But actually, bizarrely, my very first one, this one we're talking about, ended up as being one of the stranger ones. Um, so there was a, a bit of a conflab and a bit of a decision-making process about how he was going to come out. And eventually what they did was they used, um, I think they had a series of jacks that they would use at accidents for like lifting cars off of people. I think now they use airbags, huge, very powerful airbags that they put underneath the edge of vehicles, inflate them with compressed air, and they're able to lift several tonnes of weight, i.e. a car, off of a person to get them out if they're injured well, or unfortunately fatally injured. But at the time, I don't think they had those. I think they had a series of sort of old-fashioned jacks that they could jack up to lift weights and things. Of course, it took a bit of ingenuity because normally they jack up from off the floor, but in this occasion, they were having to do it from kind of five feet high. So they put, I think, a tripod in place and a fair, and a few other uh, bits and pieces and metalwork to, to actually get their jack on to now jack this thing up. And the plan was basically... They, they could do it remotely. It had a very long uh, sort of jacking arm. So we were all able to retreat out from underneath there while they jacked it up. But no one quite knew what was going to happen, really. So um, all of us emergency services stood back and away from the danger of this thing collapsing, leaving the poor guy in there who was trapped still, but obviously very dead. Um, the fire crew started jacking up uh, the uh, the deck, and as they lifted the deck, as soon as it moved, you know, an inch or two, he unfortunately and very unceremoniously um, dropped. Basically, he was obviously clearly pinned just by the weight of this thing. As soon as that weight was taken off, he dropped in a crumpled heap onto the floor. Uh, fairly undignified, but to be honest with you, there was no other safe way of doing it. He had to come out of there, but we also had to do it in such a way that we were protected for obvious reasons. So I'm afraid he dropped onto the floor uh, no one could rush in at that point because we weren't sure, again, how stable this thing was. Fire crews, again, adjusted the straps and made sure that it definitely wasn't coming down before a combination of uh, us um, and the fire crew basically went underneath um, and, and, again, fairly unceremoniously, I'm afraid, dragged this guy out by his shoulders. Um, well, it was only when we got him out and laid him flat that, for me, the kind of the true... Uh, horror of it was was visible uh, and unfortunately where this beam had come down across his face with you know tons of weight on it his face basically was flat for the width of the the beam where it pinned him across his head so if you can try and imagine his lower jaw and his forehead um, were intact and and normal in shape 
but this this six inch wide strip across his face diagonally was virtually squashed flat. Um, I mean, it was you know it was a terrible thing to see, and I was kind of taken aback by it, but was desperate not to show that you know it bothered me in any way because I was a big roughy tufty you know policeman uh, who nothing bothered me even though this was the first you know sort of dead body I'd ever seen, and particularly in these circumstances. So uh, anyway. The funeral directors are there, and in the UK, again, it's normal that then the, the funeral directors come in and basically he is placed in a body bag onto a, um, in the America, I think they call them gurneys, but a stretcher effectively. And um, he was then taken away to the local uh, mortuary at the hospital. And what normally happens then is the police follow up and there's a, a mortuary procedure that takes place. So some of the more unpleasant tasks is Sometimes the mortuary staff will do this for you if, if they're working, but quite often if this happens out of hours, the police will be able to access a key. So at three o'clock in the morning, you're not going to find hospital staff there in the mortuary, but you'll be able to access yourself and go to the big fridges like you see on the telly that there might be you know nine fridges or 12 fridges in blocks of three and you open the handle and then the tray slides out and you place your body on there. Um, I think at the time they were manual and now they're kind of electric and they come out of their own accord. Obviously, it's still quite difficult to, to move a body, especially some of the bigger guys and girls from your stretcher onto one of these trolleys, particularly if it was higher, you know, you have the ability to lower them uh, and then place one, but it's still quite difficult. So you're very much manhandling these poor people, which again, to start with, is a bit of a shock, to be honest with you. And I'm afraid the mortuary procedure, if there's no mortuary staff about, can in include... You have to take all their clothes off them. You have to take any personal effects off them. So quite often, uh, we would have to take watches and rings. Um, we would have to take their clothes off, you know, and that's all really unpleasant. Um, and of course, sometimes quite difficult to do. A lot of people, including myself, you know, have wedding rings that have been on for years or any, any sort of ring that's been on for years. Um, and invariably, you grow with it. Uh, and quite often a lot of those rings just won't come off so we had to have all sorts of tricks you know we're kind of there with you know washing up liquid you know that we were sort of smearing over these people's fingers to try and get rings off um, and every now and then you have to stop and kind of realize what you're doing thinking this person is dead this is a, what a bizarre job I've got I'm here trying to wrestle a ring off a dead person you know as a cop it's not really what you see yourself doing of course it's obvious when you sort of think through it but it's still a you still find yourself in situations thinking, how did I get here? You know, I didn't even know police did this. And here I am, unfortunately, trying to wrestle this top off of this poor person that's died. You know, and of course, very difficult because depending on the stage they're at, their arms may have stiffened up. So now you have to battle with them to get an arm straight, to get the arm of a shirt off or something. The same with the trousers. And unfortunately, uh, bodily functions uh happen you know all the time i'm afraid sometimes um there's no other way of putting it you know sometimes they poo and wee themselves as you're trying to um you know drag these these clothes off them i'm afraid also um even more unsettling particularly for new cops is quite often there can be air left in their chest so that as you're moving them about and try and uh you know getting whether it's clothing off or jewelry or whatever it is um, you get this terrible groan from them because there's air in the lungs, so you might have to tilt them forward to get to get it off. Um, so you get this kind of, uh, you know, a 
groaning noise. And as a young cop, if you're not ready for it, you know, it can really scare you. I'm telling you, you know, it's, it is the stuff of horror movies. But, you know, you do slowly get used to it and it's, you know, it has to be done. So it's an unpleasant task. But anyway, so bizarrely, I was tasked to go to the hospital. Um, we were lucky we had funeral directors with us. So they did all that bit. They took the jewellery off. They took the clothing off. So I was relieved at that because that, say, can be a fairly horrific task in itself. They dealt with that side of it. And then um, I was asked to... Uh, go and identify the guy at the hospital. Well, obviously, I don't know him at all, but what they want to do is, and it sounds bizarre, but they just want to make sure that the person that was recovered from the scene is the person that's now turning up at the hospital going into the mortuary. Now, in this case, there was never any doubt, but you can imagine if you have an accident where there's three or four fatalities, um, they quite often want uh, an officer to go with those bodies to then make sure that they're going to the right place and that they go to the right hospital and where they get put in the mortuary and what have you. So I was tasked to go along and just identify this guy as the one that I had seen at the location. Well, of course, it was very easy because unfortunately, um, once we slid out the long metal um, tray that's within the fridge area in the mortuary, of course, he's the only one with a flat head. Uh, you know, very easy to identify because it was so unusual well, and horrific, you know, quite frankly, as I've already said, um, everyone else had an intact head and he didn't. So from that point of view, that's as much as I could say that, yes, that's the guy that I saw taken out of the of the fairground ride at this scene. So that was it, my first sudden death. And then, of course, there is various paperwork to be filled out. And um, then potentially, if they don't know about it, there's family to be informed as well. That's a really difficult one. We get a lot of death messages in the police and that's what they're called. Um, sometimes they're in your local area and you might even know the person they're talking about and you have to go and tell a relative or loved one that they've died. Again, sometimes it's expected, you know, if they've had a terminal disease. Other times it's a complete shock um, and, and a terrible thing. You know, when it's an accident, a car accident, for example, you know, you've got this person who's waved their partner off to work in the morning, see you later, we'll have that meal tonight, and oh, don't forget, we've got to take, you know, the kids to football practice or whatever it is tomorrow, just the normal lifey stuff that most of us do all the time, don't even think about it, there was no thoughts of saying goodbye for a final time or whatever, and suddenly you've got uniformed cops turning up at your door, telling you that your loved one has died, you're never going to see them again, and that's a terrible thing, it's, you know, obviously really hard hitting. In terms of reactions, you can get every type of reaction i've seen the lot ranging from the lower level where they just literally kind of go ah oh, yes that's right okay so they've died right okay thanks for telling me and that's it like no reaction at all sometimes that's because it's expected sometimes that's complete and utter shock and i've had people say that and then literally turn around to say oh let me go and make you a cup of tea turn around to walk down the hallway and just collapse in a heap you know on the floor because it suddenly hit them and I've also had, um, I dealt with one at a hospital once and it was a young child. He was about two or three years old and he'd actually died of diarrhea, which I didn't know you could die of. But I think it had happened over such a long period, become so dehydrated. So it was a terrible, terrible thing. And I had to go into the family room and tell his poor mum what had happened. And uh, her reaction to me was just unbelievable. But, you know, having never been in that position, thankfully, um, you know, who knows how you'd react. And she literally listened to what I was saying, took it on board, 
And this room I was in was quite small. It was only, I don't know, 12 feet by 12 feet. A smelly, fairly small room, a couple of chairs and maybe a little sofa. And this is where families went to wait for news of their loved ones. So she had no idea this boy was unfortunately going to die. And that's what happened. So I went in to tell her. She took it on board. She turned away from me to face the wall that was about eight feet away from us. And then just ran at a full sprint into that wall and hit it basically body first, hard, really hard, and then fell on the floor, started screaming and banging her arms and legs on the floor. I mean, if she'd been a toddler, you'd have said she was having a tantrum, but clearly she wasn't. She then got up and ran at the other wall. And this happened about three or four times. And she was a big girl, and I was desperately trying to get hold of her and stop her from hurting herself. And she was just flinging herself at the walls, just sprinting at the walls, bouncing off the walls, screaming and crying at the top of her voice. I mean, it was... It really was an awful thing. Uh, it took a long time for her to calm down. Um, so, yeah, she'd get all sorts of reactions. <clears throat> and certainly new cops, when I was looking after new cops, as I became more experienced, you would go to a lot of death messages. And again, it's something that new cops really dread giving because, you know, it's it's never going to end well, is it? Who wants to go and do that? Um, the key point I would tell him is you have to use the word dead. You cannot make it fluffy. You might, you want to ease the pain, but you can't afford to say, I'm sorry, they've passed away. They've gone to a better place. They've crossed the rainbow bridge. You cannot put it in any way like that at all. You have to say the words they've died or they are dead. Because if you say the aforementioned softer ways, they go, oh, great, when are they coming back? And you're kind of like, no, you're not getting it. They've... Um, passed away you know and they're like oh, yeah yeah sure but so when are they when are they coming back and why have you come to tell me about it and, you know you just can't <clears throat> excuse me um you cannot say it in a soft way you have to get those words in it's the only way that it gets through to people and also you have to be pretty blunt about it um and, and relatively soon you go in the classic is hi are you the husband wife brother sister of whoever yes could i come in and speak to you please Okay, what's this about? I don't understand it. People are already thinking bad things because most families, uniform cops, do not turn up to their door. So this is a real big deal for them. And unfortunately, as they've seen on the on the TV a lot, you know, when police turn up at your front door, it's not good news. Can we come in and just have a chat with you? Some people say, no, speak to me here on the door. Others are, sure, come in, sit down. Um, invariably, you try and get that person sat down. You might try and see... Have they got a friend, neighbour or whatever who can come round? But you just got to get on with it. So you have to say, look, I'm really sorry. I have to tell you that so-and-so has died. And invariably, there's a bit of a pause. And depending on, you know, whether it was expected or not, etc. in the, the scenario, utter, utter shock then. And then we go into the various different types of reactions that I've told you about. Um, now, if they're in your local area, it's a bit easier because invariably you say, look, their body has been taken to so-and-so, this has happened, and you can talk them through the process because there'll be a lot of questions for them as to what happens now. But the worst ones are when you get a sudden death from the other end of the country. So you might literally just have a contact number of somebody. You don't know any details. You'll know how they died, but very, very basic details. So you might know it's a car accident we believe it was a heart attack, you know, basics like that, but you can't answer a lot of questions. So they're a lot more difficult because then you literally have to say to this poor person who now can't even think straight, let me write down this telephone number for you. If you ring them, they'll tell you what happened. But in this country, we would never ever, well, very occasionally it's happened, but it shouldn't. 
ever be telling someone like that over the phone that was almost always be done in person and I'd say 99.9% of cases it is because you just don't know the reaction you're going to get so you can't afford to tell someone terrible news like that uh, and then for them to go and do something silly or be in such a state you know something happens to them so you would want to do it in person anyway a difficult subject that covers it for now I'm afraid it's something we'll revisit a lot as uh, the podcast goes on because like I say it does feature very heavily in police work death in one form or another hope you found it interesting um, it's not obviously uh, something that everyone deals with every day so perhaps interesting just to see how it happens thanks very much for coming back we'll be on to uh, episode nine next week I believe um, amazing how we're getting on through them continuing to get lots of downloads thank you very much um, as you know, we're on the various different podcasts and we've also got Police Story podcasts on YouTube as well. Um, so please keep coming back and liking and subscribing perhaps if you think it's interesting or you know somebody that might also be interested, please pass on the message. But that's it for now. Okay, speak to you again soon. Thanks very much for listening. Take it easy. Bye.